Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. All right, welcome to Hills Church this morning. Summer is upon us. Do not let the rain confuse you this morning like it probably did. A little identity crisis this morning. Hey, lots of fun things are coming up. If we haven't met, my name is Dave. I'm one of the the pastors here, and we are so glad to be gathered together. And I want to start by saying thank you to those, we love you online, but to those of you who drove here today. The rising gas prices are no joke right now. And uh, I'm fearful, I'm watching as they just keep ticking up. There's no sight on where that's going to stop, okay? And, and here's going to be the temptation. Like some of you right now are starting to evaluate on, do we have to go visit that relative? Like there is a whole new cost involved to those trips. And as those prices uptick this summer and family trips and church continue to be a priority, we thought it would be helpful to give you some cost saving measures so that you can keep valuing getting to be with the people you value most, like being with your church family. Amen? So here's a few Dave Navarro ways to save a few bucks and put them towards your gas tank this summer. Trade out Pringles for Prongles, and you will start your savings journey. Uh, Let's continue on. Uh, Okay, North Face, hiking equipment, pretty expensive, but the huge mountain equipment it's very affordable for your wallets, okay? So just Google the huge mountain right there. Let's go to the next one right here. Uh, Sunbucks coffee, okay? So if you kind of just do the math on $6 coffee a day, if you can find a Sunbucks near you, just type it into Google Maps, it is a great deal. Let's keep going here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Dave uh, Beauty Product, um, that's my personal favorite. It's just, it's a little bit of a cheaper version than the Dove. 5% goes to me. Let's keep going. Uh, crust versus crest. Okay, hey, look, I'm not, I can't make this stuff up. Like, this is just, it's a good idea. Try it out. Next one, here we go. Uh, for your eating needs, KFC is getting a little pricey, but if you can find a KFG near you, uh, guaranteed to just put money towards fuel. I think we have one more. Some of you are like, I need a Yeti cooler. I've been wanting one for a while. They're expensive. That's three tanks of gas. This is practically free at your local 7-Eleven. Friends, uh, uh, there are some imitation items all around. And you guys know what it's like. I mean, some of you are probably, you have some imitation items maybe on your wrist right now. You've seen them. As humans, we, we prefer like the genuine item. Like that's, that's a fair statement, right? We prefer to have the real deal. But the reality is this. All of us are familiar with imitation or being imitators. It's how we actually live the vast majority of our life. What would you say if I said God actually challenges us to be imitators? Now, not like the cheap stuff, but like the real quality to be imitators. We're gonna be in the book of Ephesians this morning. We're in a series unpacking Ephesians. I'm gonna start with kind of a key anchor verse for us. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. It says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. And so God, we, we come to you this morning, Lord, out of just an incredible time of worship, Lord, grateful for the chance to be together. And Lord, for 
any man or woman, child, right now, God, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds, myself as well, Lord, to receive the, the, the truth that you have for us in this letter this morning. To your name we pray together, amen. Our series tagline is about becoming who you were created to be. But I have to be honest with you, I think we struggle with knowing who we are. We struggle to know who we were created to be. Many of us have asked that question, gosh, what am I here for? What is my purpose? Many of us have gone through identity crises and we've, we've pursued it in places that have come up kind of short and we go, gosh, I was really good at that in my life or I got a lot of accolades or approval for that or hey, I was really good on the sports field and it was like, I mean, I felt like I was alive but when I was done with that sport or I was done with that career or my kids were raised up, all of a sudden it was an identity crisis like who am I and, and why am I here? Now, many of us have heard the world kind of just tell you, hey, just, just be yourself, which in and of itself is a very tall order. But God actually has a different plan in place for us. God doesn't say just be yourself. The invitation is actually to be like him. And so the big idea this morning is two simple words. The big idea is something that you will never regret. It is something that will not steer you wrong. And the big idea is that imitate God imitate God. Now, now here's the temptation. It's like overly simplistic. Like, thanks very much, Dave. It's overly simplistic, and yet probably one of the most complicated things that you and I can pursue in our life that will have the biggest payoff for our lives. There are people, consciously and unconsciously, that you and I work to imitate throughout our lives. I've got about four people. I'm not going to tell you who they are, because I'd probably offend some people if they're watching this that love me or know me. But some of them are family, some of them are friends, some of them are pastors I've, I've, I've served with. And to be honest with you, I very consciously am imitating them. And there's moments where I think, like, how would so-and-so handle this dilemma? I respect them. I love them. Like, how would they navigate this conversation? Or maybe there's somebody in your life, you're like, yeah, I love their style, and then you just slowly over time, maybe it's conscious, maybe it's unconscious, and you, you find yourself like trying to shop like they shop and, and kind of purchase the things. It's weird. Like middle schoolers and high schoolers, they, you guys like, you guys kind of match often. I don't know what, if you guys plan that in the morning, but there's, and as adults, you do it too. It just is a little less obvious. We tend to imitate people around us. And so here's the deal. I don't know if that's completely a bad thing, but here's where I felt convicted this week. God does not want to be the fifth and sixth place person I'm imitating in my life. He doesn't even want to be the second place person. His, his call is for me to imitate him. And so this morning, we're going to consider what does it look like for you and I to be an imitation of God? And we often see that in the person of Jesus Christ. What does it look like for us to follow after God's example in Jesus so we're in the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, chapter four, flip there. You can look, it's like towards the very end. Okay, just get a little ratio there. You just flip there fast. Uh, this letter is written 62 years after the death of Jesus. It's written by the apostle Paul from a state of being in prison. And he's writing to the community of Ephesus, not one singular person, but a community of believers. We're in chapter four. We're picking up in verse 21. And it starts like this. It goes this. Assuming, he says, that you've heard about him 
and we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, let me just say, it's, it's interesting, we got that word assuming, meaning there's like something before it that's pretty important. If you're one of those people that just jumps to the middle of a letter or a book or an article, like he's like, I'm assuming that you read the precursor. I read articles all the time. You guys ever just read the bold like numbers and you fail to read the in-betweens? He's like, look, if you're doing that right now, community of Ephesus, church in El Dorado Hills, he's like, I am assuming that you've caught the beginning. So we'll go back to that in a moment. The verse continues, verse, 20, uh, chapter, verse 22. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new, wake up, church, new, there we go, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. Paul, what are you doing? What's going on here? All right, let's start with that word assuming. He's referring to something that happens before this verse. So let me give you a little overview of the book of Ephesians if you've missed any of our prior weeks. The first half of the book is chapters one through three. It's a six-chapter book. And the first three chapters are largely indicative. It's kind of like the grammatical way that I would refer to it, meaning this. It's a, it's a gospel explanation, it's in other words, the first three chapters are, this is what God has done for you. The second half, which we've just now broken into, is chapters four through six, and it's largely imperative, meaning it's gospel application. So if it's, this is what God's done for you, this is, okay, now this is what we do next. Let, let me just spend a moment on this real quick. The indicative fuels the imperative, okay? The gospel explanation, like a grasp of what the gospel is, fuels gospel application. But the imperative never produces the indicative, meaning a gospel application and understanding what it means to live that out never produces the good news. The good news stands on its own, and it fuels a lifestyle that follows, let me give you an example. Let's go to the next slide, our key verse. Uh, chapter five, verse one, it said, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God is gospel application. And the explanation that it depends upon is the fact that we are beloved children. Paul gives us another example. He says it another way. He goes, hey, walk in love. That's gospel application as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. That's gospel explanation. That God created you, knit you together, that he loves you and wants a relationship with you. And that even though you and I have turned our backs on God at one point or another, that God still welcomes relationship. He's not like we're done. In fact, that he gave his son Jesus as a price, as a ransom, that, that when you give your life to that sacrifice, Christ, and you say, I'm gonna fall after him, that you are made right with God, both now and for eternity. That's the gospel. That's the good news in about 20 seconds. That's the gospel explanation. You are beloved. And it's in light of that, he goes, assuming that you caught that, now be imitators of God. Let's be imitators of God. When we embrace the love of Christ, we will also embrace the way of life that Christ lives. 
And my hope is not in my ability to, to love God, but in his unrelenting and unshakable love for me. Are you guys catching that? Our hope isn't in how well we love God. Our hope is in how well we receive his love for us. And so deep and honest identification with God is going to lead towards a, a lifestyle that will imitate God. It leads to this thing called new life. Verse 24, Paul wrote, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And holiness is one of those churchy words for set apart. We're called to put off an old life and to put on a new self. If a fresh start. Now, y'all students just celebrate like the end of a school year. Many of you, your, your kids or grandkids celebrate end of a school year. But let's rewind it, if you guys can handle this, to the first day of school. Sorry, it's a little PTSD for our students. And it's like, if you guys have ever you know, been there, if you, assuming you've gone through school or watched your kids, it's kind of like a fresh start every first day of school, new school year, new classroom. Everyone kind of wants to reinvent themselves a little bit before they walk in. You guys know what I'm talking about? Your middle schooler starts to use deodorant. Uh, some kids start to care about what they look like and, and everything starts to shift a little bit. Same thing, I mean, when you start a new job, you often go like shopping, like you want, I'm in a fresh outfit. It's a new me, new day, new job. You go off to college, new me, new day. You move, new community, new neighbors, fresh start. Who am I gonna be? One of the best uh, fresh starts in my life, maybe you can relate, is every time I buy a new pair of running shoes, I feel like this is it. This is my fresh start on my health. We're gonna take it seriously this time. Good things are gonna happen. Could you guys imagine with me if I bought this new pair of shoes? And uh, man, check this out, ready? Here we go, taking good care of these things. Put them on. And that's it. Could you imagine if I got a new pair of Nikes and I only put one on? This is making some of you uncomfortable right now, isn't it? Like, do you think this is what the designers and the engineers at Nike had in mind for their product that's gonna make me run like I'm walking on clouds? It's gonna make me faster, healthier, all these things. Like this is not the image that the creators had in mind for their product. Is that fair? Is that obvious? This is actually pretty uncomfortable right now. It's taking like a lot of skill for me to keep my train of thought because everything about me is a little bit off right now. And yet this image is often how I have lived my Christian life. You see, I stepped into the newness of, of who Christ is. I gave my life to following him, and I, I kind of put on the newness, but for whatever reason, I kept some of my old life with me. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the moment we give our lives to him, it's not like every temptation and struggle just magically disappears. Man, would that be convenient. No, no, like they come with us. They follow after us. And they have a way of sneaking back up on us. And many of us are just a little bit tired, if I was to be honest with you. And you've been living in some of that old life while trying to pursue the new life, that, that life to the fullest that we talk about and we worship God and we give thanks for. But there's something that's making life a little bit uncomfortable. There's a, a thorn in the side. There's something that doesn't feel right. And, and here's often how it happens, right? You give your life to Christ and that old life comes with you. And uh, you're not sure what to do about some of those struggles in your life. You know what I mean? And pretty soon, you, you're unaware that you can shine some light on it and get some help. And pretty soon, you find yourself in a small group. And then you're serving on a team. And some, someone like Dave taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, can you lead that small group? And so all of a sudden, it goes from being a Christian for 20 minutes to 20 years. And you're leading a small group. And you're volunteering on a team. 
And, but there are some parts of your old life, some struggles that you had that now you feel like you can't shine a light on. And it's just dragging you back. I love what it says in Isaiah uh, 40. The prophet Isaiah says this to those of you who just can't wait and you're just, you're tired and you're like, I need some hope. He says this, but they, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, the promises of God are that we're going to run with strength. And when otherwise life would make us weary, we're going to have a renewable strength in Christ. Now, here's the problem. Paul, as he's writing this letter, is writing from a place of hearing word. If this is really bothering you, by the way, just hang with me for a little bit, okay? Paul's catching word from the, the, from the town of Ephesus. They're writing him letters. They're, they're bringing him the word. They're like, hey, everybody in our community is walking around with two different shoes on. You see, many of them have given their lives to Christ, but they're still living in their old life. I mean, the way people talk about one another with such bitterness is hurtful. Lying, cheating, stealing is running rampant. And this is just amongst the believers. And so all this feedback is coming to Paul. And so Paul, Paul's letter is going to go right to it in Ephesians uh, 4. In fact, he's going to say, hey, there's some things that you guys need to put off and some things that you need to put on. He says this in verse 25. You guys ready? We sticking with me? All right, here we go. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He continues on to the, to the community. He says, hey, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share, be generous with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building up. Man, somebody needs that verse this morning as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Continues on. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, don't, don't make the Holy Spirit so sad in your life by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And he closes it off. Guys, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Man, someone needs to forgive somebody as God in Christ forgave you. That's a tall order. It's not a random list. It's not an exhaustive list of the things we have to put off and the things that we have to put on, but it is five examples of some things from our old life that maybe we need to leave behind and some new things to put on. In fact, I'll break down those five things that he just laid out for us. He essentially said this, put off lying and put on the truth. Truth is complicated. Older you get, the more difficult it is to carry truth, isn't it? Verse 25. So number two says, put off sinful anger. Okay, interesting point. We can be angry, but some of you, you're doing it terribly and you're hurting people in your anger. Put on righteous anger. Number three says, put off stealing and put on hard work, but don't just work hard. Do it with some generosity. Verse 28. Number four he says, hey, we got to put off that corrupting talk, things that are pulling people down and put up uplifting talk. Man, 
Let's be people who are uplifting. Number five, put off bitterness and put on compassion. As much as it says what we're called to leave behind, let's focus also on what we are called towards. You and I are called towards this life of imitating Jesus that leaves the shoe on when it feels like we want to give up. And it says, you know what? I'm going to change my life a little bit. And I'm going to become an imitation of who Christ is. And I'm going to try on the fullness of Christ. And you have to know who Christ is. Be reminded that the person we're imitating was so good in his relationships. Like he was a good friend. But not just a good friend. Like he was actually really good with his enemies as well. Do you guys notice that throughout scripture? How Jesus handled those who were against him? How he stayed calm, composed. He says, imitate the the creator of the world. Imitate the the graciousness that's found in Christ. Imitate the, the way that Christ brought hope to the hopeless. He bestowed compassion on those who ordinarily we'd say doesn't deserve it. Imitate the way that Jesus developed others around him. Any leaders in the room. The way that he sowed seeds of legacy. That's who we're invited to fully imitate with our lives. The natural question that I had to wrestle with about two days ago was, what, what gets in the way of this? Like, what gets in the way of you and I imitating, being imitators of Christ, being imitators of God? I got three. The first is the enemy. And I think the enemy would love to keep you and I distracted and busy. I think it's his greatest vehicle today. I think that he is gonna keep us, you and I, looking at anything and everything but who Christ is. He's gonna, he's gonna help fill your social media feeds. He's gonna fill uh, the cars that drive by, the homes around you, everything you have to look at. He's gonna try to keep you and I from keeping our eye on Christ. Me personally, he keeps me busy. I think that's what the enemy does best. And he keeps me busy with some really good things. That's, that's mischievous of the enemy, right? I'm gonna have you guys be so busy with such great things that you're gonna miss the why and the who that it's all about in your life. Isn't that interesting how the enemy works? Number two, fear of rejection. I think some of us are afraid that we'll be rejected if we are imitators of who Christ is. And maybe that relates a little bit to number three, but shame. Shame is getting in the way of us being imitators of Christ. I talked about the idea that we gave our lives to the Lord and then years go by and we're now ashamed to ask for help. We're ashamed that, hey, the, the, the church, the community, my small group thinks I have it all together and I can't let them down. If they knew the things that I struggled with in my life, I'd be done. And we let shame keep us from asking people for help. We let shame be the thing that holds us back I didn't buy these shoes. I didn't steal them either. Um, uh, these shoes belonged to my cousin, Nick. And uh, I got a picture of him right here. This is Nick. He passed away a little over a year ago, April 17th. We were best friends. He lived right here in Roseville. Grew up together. A year and a half apart in age. I mean, we, we practically look, look like brothers. 
and uh, Nick loved Jesus. I'm confident that I'll spend eternity with him one day. But he also had some, some struggles in his life, some aspects of his old life, some addictions that eventually led to an overdose about a year ago. At first, a decade ago, he shined some light on it and he asked for help and the family came around him and we were there every step of the way to wanna help him fight those addictions, to put on both shoes and to, to follow after what Christ had for him and he got to taste that and every time he'd, he'd take four steps back and then something would happen and he'd take like five steps backwards. Eventually, after that cycle happening so many times, shame kept him from shining any light on his struggles. And he would not ask for help. He would not let us in. And he had an excuse for what he couldn't show up to. A year and a half ago, kind of lost everything and ended up homeless. It's ironic that I'm wearing his shoes today. His mom, brought a box of stuff over to my house after he passed. And at first I was like, please, please don't. And then I, I felt bad saying no. And so I stared at the box for about three weeks and then I finally opened it. And I went through it and I pulled out these shoes and I pulled out the inserts. It was still in the Nike box. And my mind is spinning. I'm like, how does my homeless cousin still have better style than me? And still manage to take care of like all these things and my heart was breaking that he missed out on the fullness on this side of eternity that Christ had for him. But friends, I don't know what's keeping you from getting help, what's keeping you from wanting to be the best imitation of who Christ has called you to be in your family, in your friends, in your work, right here in your church family. But the invitation is to ask for help, is to make it your life's mission and purpose to be the best possible imitation of Jesus that you can be. And in this moment, I see why my cousin left me these shoes. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Either way, you're gonna get Christ with his life. And so this morning, I'm gonna close with the question, like, are we up for following Christ? If you've been around church for a little bit, you're like, hey, Dave, isn't that the guy that got a little bit misunderstood by society, rejected, pushed back, flogged, beaten, and eventually crucified? That's the guy. I'm not, we're not sugarcoating anything but it's also the guy that felt 100% confident in his skin. It's also the guy that, that wasn't ashamed of walking the walk that he was called to walk. It's also the guy who had compassion. He wasn't taken by greed. He wasn't concerned about what everybody thought of him all day. He didn't spend years of his life trying to be somebody he was not. And I think you and I deeply desire those same things. And while they may come at a cost by society's standards, it comes at a great reward as well. My dissatisfaction seasons of my life were never on the heels of following Jesus as closely as I can. It's always on the heels of following everybody else. The big idea, two words, not as simple as we see, they seem, 
imitate God. I want to ask us to think about before we leave this place. I, I, I don't want us to just leave it. It's just like, hey, that's a great message. That means a lot. Like, what does it mean for you and I? To, if, you, if you're here and you practically want to step into it, what does that look like? I, I'm thinking three areas. We'll just keep it to three areas. What would it look like to imitate Jesus in these three areas this week? In some relationships, in your work, in your private life. Those are the three things to write down, take a picture of, remember, and that's the homework. Like, what are you gonna move on? Is it worth moving? Can you afford not to move on these things? Are you that content with the people we're imitating? I know I'm not. I'll give you an example for a moment here. Uh, relationships. Every time I'm in scripture, I'm reminded about how interruptible Jesus was. Crowds would come up to him, the disciples would try to be like a bodyguard, and Jesus would say, no, like, let them through, we got time. I've never gone to prayer with the father of the universe and ever felt like he's like, Dave, I'm sorry, I'm busy with somebody else. God's interruptible. And that's probably the thing that I've struggled with the most. And so this week, as I was preparing the sermon, I tried to exercise, how can I be more interruptible? How can I confess and sacrifice my goal to be efficient with my time and be interruptible for those before me? I was praying about that the other morning and all of a sudden I heard my son crying throughout the house. I had to leave my prayer time and go tend to him. I was like, okay, God, that's, that's the situation. In our work, what does this look like? I, all throughout scripture, Jesus had this way of elevating moments and bringing people to the, like ordinary moments, he would elevate them, bring them before God. And I was thinking about my father-in-law and uh, for many years, he ran a real estate office in the Bay Area. And that kind of gets old. Like all of our jobs are gonna get old until you realize the deeper reason of why you're there. Jonathan preached an incredible message about that a couple of weeks ago. And I love the way that he would, as a manager, as the guy in charge, people would come to him with personal and, and professional problems. And he said, can we pray together right now? I mean, I was like, That's, is that inappropriate? They never said no. And together they would pray. And you know what? People kept coming back with their problems. They wanted some prayer. How do we elevate these things before God? Private life, what does it look like? As I think about the private life of Jesus, we saw him repeatedly take time away from crowds to be with the Father, to, to, to recharge, to be one with the Father. I thought about my own dad. At one point when I was in middle school, God really kind of got a hold of his life in a fresh way. And one morning I'd come downstairs, I don't remember when that moment was, and suddenly his Bible was out on the, the kitchen table. And over time, I began to see that Bible get mangled up. And every morning, he'd wake up early. He had a commute. He had places to get. I never got to see him because he was out so early. But I know that at one moment, he realized if he wants to be an imitation of Jesus, he's going to have to wake up a little bit earlier and spend some time getting to know the person he's imitating. Interesting thing about my, my father-in-law and my dad, neither of them had an example in their life. None of them had someone that they were following after. They had an encounter with Jesus and they began to figure out what it looks like for them to be an imitation of Jesus. That's the question for us. I thought we'd end with a little theology from a country song. It is summer after all, friends. A guy named Rodney Atkins in 2006 wrote this song called Watching You. And it illustrates this idea of imitation so well. In his song, Watching You, he tells the story of a son mimicking his father. The song begins with the pair driving down the road, probably a dirt road, it's a country song. 
And his four-year-old son is strapped into a, a booster seat, happily munching on some fries, when his dad suddenly hits the brakes. The little boy's fries go flying, his drink gets spilled, and the dad hears his son mutter a four-letter word that begins with S. Dad says, son, where'd you learn to talk like that? His boy said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. I was going to sing this, but my wife told me that's not my calling, so... When they got back home, the dad went to the barn and the dad bowed his head and prayed, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. Later that night, just before he was going to tuck his son into bed, he watched as his son crawled out of the bed and got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And he said, and the dad asked, son, now, where'd you learn to talk to God like that? And you know what his son said? I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. I've got a three-month-old at home right now, and I'm starting to understand that everything he's going to learn is by imitation. I can't just hang out with TJ and say, wave, 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 darn it. No, no, it's, it's like this. If you guys have been around, it's like, hey, wave, right? And pretty soon you start to see a wave or you just get lucky. And nothing changes from three months to the day we die. We are imitating something. The question is, who are you imitating with your life? And to take it one step further, there are people imitating you. You don't know it. What are they getting? What are they getting when they imitate you? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I love that invitation for you and I today. We're gonna go to the Lord now with communion. And it's this reminder of what Christ did for you and I. When he gave his life for us, he, hours before that moment, he gathered the disciples and he broke bread and he poured the cup and he said, hey, this is my body being given for you. This is the good news, the gospel explanation. Eat these things in remembrance of me. Follow after my example. Let me pray for us. God, as we take out our communion elements, I pray that you would meet us in these moments right here. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and the invitation to follow you. God, thank you for being a perfect example. God, would you receive us in this quiet moment? Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.